A presentation at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com and Source for Sports Surrey. We are on the air with Ingool Radio, the podcast, uh, along with David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. I'm Darren Millard. Today, we are going to chat with Curtis McElhaney, a two-time Stanley Cup champion who walked off the ice with a Stanley Cup above his head, and we will reflect on his career uh, a really interesting journey uh, through the course of uh, professional hockey. And he is uh, bluntly honest uh, with us about what he went through, uh, breaking in with the Calgary Flames and then uh, going to Columbus and Toronto and uh, a couple of stops uh, along the way and finally finishing with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, one of my favorite parts about the interview discusses uh, the use of video uh, when you are a professional goalie. Uh, we will also uh, tap into... The gear segment over at the hockey shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for sports. Sorry, with our friend Cam. As uh, Woody, things are happening over there. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that's happening is they're starting to get ready for Black Friday. Um, so keep your eyes open. I know it, it It feels odd for me to say it this early, to start talking about Black Friday. I don't know about you guys, but if you're like me, like Halloween ends and my wife wants to put up the Christmas decorations and I have to put my foot down and then she does it anyways. But I'm not a big fan of how we transition quickly to Christmas. So here I am telling you to get ready for their Black Friday sale. And you know why you should get ready for their Black Friday sale? Because people, if you've been paying attention to supply chain issues, to inventories and to shipping, you better get your Christmas presents purchased around Black Friday. Don't wait too much longer than that. So double whammy here from the hockey shop. Make sure you keep your ears and eyes open for some of the sales and prices and specials that are coming out around Black Friday. And have that Christmas list ready to check off because it might be a great opportunity to make sure you don't get left out in the cold buying the goalie in your life what he or she wants and having it under the tree and also save a little money in the process. So Black Friday and Christmas really go hand in hand this year to make sure you have the presents you want. And the hockey shop is already busy marking down things and getting things ready behind the scenes for Black Friday at the end of this month. Yeah, it's coming up in uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you know who could use a gift right now is Alexander Yorgiev. Could I mean, can we send him uh, an Ingol hoodie, uh, an Ingol coffee mug, something? Hotch, just okay. to cheer up the Ranger goaltender. Send, send him a couple yeah, of defensemen. A couple of defensemen, a couple of forwards, uh, some special thing to slow down Connor McDavid. Wasn't that an amazing goal that we saw last night? My favorite part is just looking at the screen caps that people are putting out on Twitter, saying, you know, imagine what happened yeah. two seconds after this moment when he's got four guys dra draped all over Right. Him. Poor guy. I don't know. Woody, Woody's got the whole stock of hoodies. I would be happy to send him one. Um, but at least the guy's going to get his 15 I, minutes of fame here because he is all over the internet. I would have brought him on in person, but I wasn't allowed to see him when the Rangers were in town. So, um, listen, and isn't that the worst thing as a goaltender? Like, because one on four, like, you're not setting up to, you're not playing that like a breakaway. Like, you're trying to be ready, but it's one on four. And the next thing you know, the guy's basically circles or hash mark down a breakaway with all that speed and it's Connor McDavid you've got no backwards flow like you're not playing that like a breakaway and it comes out of nowhere as a breakaway it's just and it's Connor freaking McDavid like I feel like the goalie union has to file a grievance at this point against this guy like get him get him out he's just he's like a cheat code it's like a video game out there but yeah just Man, what a goal, and and yeah, tough night for Georgie, who, again, we've said it before on this podcast, he's a hell of a goalie, um, and and I, I, he just 
keeps getting stuck behind some of the best in the world, first in, in Lundquist and then in Shishterkin. And so opportunities are tough to come by. But I watched this guy practice. I watched Georgie practice for four days here in Vancouver. And actually, I got to tell the story. I meant to tell the story and I forgot to tell you guys. So Woody's going to ramble. Um, it was beautiful. Uh, ben Waller wasn't on this trip, guys. So ahead of that start in Edmonton, they skated here in Vancouver the day before I went out and watched and Shishterkin's down doing his thing and Georgie's doing his thing. And the team practice, and this is after a long practice, but the team practice shifted down to Shishterkin's end. You know how it is. It goes from one end to the other. So while everyone was down at Shishterkin's end, Georgiev grabbed some pucks, grabbed the skills coach and set up drills set up drills himself, walked the skills coach through where to shoot from, how he wanted the shots, what he was working on, when to shoot, and basically conducted his own little goalie camp at his end of the ice while Shesterkin was facing the team shots at the other end. We've talked about that before. It's something I've seen Mikey DiPietro do. Like, and I just, I loved it. It brought a massive smile to my face. Here's this, here's this guy after like you know four days in Vancouver, last practice, and he's making sure that he's taking advantage of every sort of opportunity and downtime to keep getting better. And I'm telling you, I watch these drills, like his edge work and his patience and his movement. Um, he's a good goalie, just got thrown into a tough spot in Edmonton. No minute of ice time is wasted. And th- that's by the players that are on the ice the most. That's really impressive, Hutch. There's so many lessons if you're privileged enough to be able to watch an NHL skate, as uh, you guys certainly do a lot more than me, but I've enjoyed it too is how these guys take advantage of the situation and how much it resembles some of the things that you hear minor hockey goaltenders and parents complaining about. Uh, You know, I don't get enough time with a goaltending coach. Well, guess what? Here was a situation where an NHL goaltender had to sort out some drills on his own, or they just leave my kid alone down at the other end of the ice while the practice is happening here. Here's another example of the same situation in the NHL. I still remember, I probably told it before, being with my very young son at the time who was going through one of those moments he didn't want to do a couple of drills on the ice because I already know how to do that quote unquote and then then we're in a practice and we see Ryan Miller skate out and start to do the most basic skating drills all on his own at the other end of the ice while the practice is going on uh, down in our end the pros do it just like we do they just you know they've they've had a whole lifetime of experience to understand what what the game is like and how it works and and how to own their own game and their own development it's really impressive to see I enjoy the opportunities to see these practice skates as much in many times more than actually going to a game because you get to see the inside of, of how these guys are developing themselves and taking responsibility for it. It's fantastic. I watched Robin Leonard and uh, Mike Rosati do something the other day and I was never going to bring it up, but because of what Woody uh, just stated, there was part of the NHL practice went down to the other end where Laurent Bressois was working. And there, there was, it wasn't going to be a long time where Leonard was going to be uh, out of the loop of the drills, but Rosati, uh, the goalie coach for the Vegas Golden Knights, put a bunch of pucks over just above the, the right hash mark, and they worked on stopping pucks behind the net. So he would rim a puck behind the net, uh, Leonard would stop it, and then make a pass up the boards. It was three minutes, four minutes tops. Uh, that he would have been standing there uh, watching the drill at the other end before the breakout uh, came back. But they took advantage of that ice time in what you would consider the most simple puck handling drill that you can do. Uh, just just pucks. They didn't, it wasn't a planned out thing where you did both sides or anything. They just worked on on doing it for maybe 15 reps 
And I thought it was really impressive. I've done it with one rep when the it's a flow drill and the whole flow is going down to the other end. And mm-hmm. just as it's coming down, I'm standing there. The, uh, the goalies that I work with, they recognize the whistle and then, and then, uh, we'll dump a puck in and maybe you get one, maybe you get two before the, before it comes back down to the other end, it creates a little pressure actually, cause they know the play's about to come down. And, and I don't, if you're an assistant coach out there on the ice and you're watching a drill go on, why not do that when a goalie's standing there and needs some time? I don't care if he's 10 years old. It's an opportunity to work on some of these skills when you're young. It's great. Take advantage of, of the ice time that you have. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, just to finish that off with Georgie, the rest of the Rangers at the end of that practice did conditioning, just back and forth conditioning skate. And they were sort of coming down on his end. So he went to the other end where they were starting the back and forths and went into that crease with the same skills coach. And in a tiny little space, just worked off off shots just from the top of the crease and simple bumps off the post into those shots. So again, just everybody else is doing a conditioning skate. I've still got some things I want to work on. I'm going to carve out a little space. Like, and I literally have video of all these players around him doing this conditioning skate and he's got his space carved out to, again, work on one small little skill and make sure he feels good heading into a game. I think as long as you brought up Robin Lehner and Mike Rosati, I think we got to give Mike a little shout out here too for something that happened this week. Yeah, he played. He he got he into a did. practice. He well, had, to play, put, uh, had to put, put the pads on. Put the practice on. The I think it was the old Louisville gear. Uh, that, it was, that he picked yeah. up uh, on, on the road. Uh, he said, uh, "I don't know whether this is in confidence or not, but I'll I'll, I'll share it with you guys." He said the 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 rule was the guys couldn't shoot low. <laughs> and and normally you'd be thinking don't make me go they, down. they can't shoot high. The, don't, the players aren't allowed to shoot high uh, on the uh, on the fill in goaltender. He's like, nope they they weren't allowed to shoot low because uh, I didn't want to go down because I didn't want to get get back up. But uh, Rosati, awesome. uh, an Olympian, uh, played uh, played pro for so many years and played played in Mannheim in Europe, and uh, he's he's an awesome guy. But I thought that was pretty funny. It was the anti uh, rule uh, when when you got the fill in goaltender in practice. Love it. Wasn't it something like eight years since he put pads yeah. on? He and I have talked about it and, and he, he's watched a couple of guys get in and, uh, and have great excitement about playing the position. Uh, and he's, uh, he's kind of, I think he's rediscovered his love of, of kind of wanting to get back in there and playing and stuff. He's not going to do it all the time, but, uh, there's part of him that probably thought he was done ever wearing the gear again. And, uh, it was, it was kind of cool. So shout out to all the beer league teams in Las Vegas. If you're short a goaltender for a night, uh, Darren can probably get you connected with Mike Rosati and uh, have him out for one of your skates. Uh, on the uh, Georgie uh, conversation, I'd love to chat with uh, Rosati or uh, different goalie coaches around the league on on how you play that rush by Connor McDavid because there's there's got to be a large assumption, if we're being totally honest, that there's no way he's ever going to get to you. Like there's, he passes, splits the D, skates by another guy, and then dangles the fourth skater. There's, there's, there's 60 feet, and he's got four Rangers between you and, and Connor McDavid. There's no way he can possibly get through all that know, and though. then still get a deke. I don't know. I, like one of the recent pro reads might have been Joey Decord where he was talking about a situation where any other player in the world, you think this might be happening, but it's Connor McDavid. So there's a good chance that this is going to happen. So I think you know who it is. I was actually thinking of this week's feature interview 
uh, as we were talking about that, because Woody brings up that dreaded term again, goalie school goaltender. Um, there's a situation you just, you never see in goalie school. You never see with your goalie coach. There's absolutely nothing predictable about it. He could probably come out of those four guys in about six different places. Um, how you read that situation, I have no idea other than extreme patience, but do we even worry about it? It's the best player on the planet. And, uh, I don't think anybody's ever going to face something like that. Unless you get down maybe to novice hockey where you've got that kid who's three years ahead in development. So no, no, it's, it's probably it's, the youngest and least experienced goaltenders who have to face this thing more than him. The only other time that you face that situation as a goaltender is in the father-son game. And one of the dads is an NHLer and he skates through go. skates through the whole team and <laughs> comes down on you. That's I was going to say like Friday drop-in where there's a bunch of like total benders, ankles are touching the ice as they skate. And then one guy who played college and decided he's like trying to, he actually wants to go out there and light you up. Like that's about the only time you're ever going to see any, like one on four. And even then we're all making comparisons that aren't legitimate because none of those other situations involve McDavid's speed cutting through those four. <laughs> it's, it's bananas. Uh, it's bananas. Feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena is Curtis McElhaney. Uh, just recently retired and will reflect on his career. And there's uh, there's some great stuff eh, in there, including what he's doing now. But uh, uh, on his journey, can you believe how many times uh, he and his family moved over the course? It's just going to blow you away. Uh, we'll also get into our gear segment uh, with Cam with the Warrior Ritual X3E and the uh, X3. Uh, we are uh, going to chat about that chest protector and its uh, second price point. But a couple of other news and notes for you. Uh, Carey Price. Uh, rejoining the NHL and the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Uh, look forward to no timetable on when he's going to play, but uh, he is uh, rejoining the team this week. And no idea how this plays out. All we do is hope that Carey's better and feeling good and everything in his life is good. That's about all you do. We're more just about Carey the person, not Carey the goalie right now. That, that can wait. And Joel Hofer makes his NHL debut hutch. And this is a guy that, that you know really well. And the experience that he went through in uh, making that uh, that first appearance with the St. Louis Blues, give, give us a, a little bit of the backstory of, of that experience. It was actually a good 24 hours there for Friends of Ingle. Um, just aside from Joel, we'll get to that in a second. We had Dylan Ferguson racking up another shutout last night in the American League. We had uh, Dylan Garand, one of another one of the Dylans out of the Kamloops Blazers organization, did the same thing last night in front of his uh, hometown crowd in in Victoria. And then, yeah, Joel Joel Hofer. Um, we uh, we enjoyed every minute of that game. It was absolutely fantastic. Great to see him get his uh, his first win. That first period was weren't the shots something like ten to one, and uh, just absolutely under siege and giving his his team a chance to to hang in there and then ultimately get the win towards the end. Of course, as you can imagine, my very favorite part was at the end with the other net empty, Joel grabbed a puck. You could see him sort of give her a look and then he he dropped it, made a pass and uh, ultimately an assist on the the empty net goal. So sent him a little note afterwards, congratulated him, said uh, Matty was really hoping he'd take a shot at the empty net, but he said he did have a look. You know, I heard the broadcaster say, well, that would just be a bit cheeky for a young goalie in his first game to try and shoot for the empty net. But uh, I think he is cheeky. He said, I had a look. It just wasn't there. So uh, anyway, he made the right decision. Did they watch the gold medal game? Well, exactly. Right. But well, I mean, I guess you could say you're with your peers there as opposed to the young guy in the NHL. But uh, 
kudos to Joel. I'm sure it's the first of many, many wins that he's going to enjoy in his NHL career. And we look forward to being along for the ride a little bit here from a distance. You must have been watching the other broadcast because Panger uh, would have been saying, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Send that thing down. There's no way Panger's calling that cheeky. He's he's calling the shot and 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 getting out there and sweeping it down the ice. Uh he also Hofer also made uh, a pr- pretty nice scorpion save. I don't know how intentional it was, but but the the puck ended up coming off him. Uh, you could see him looking for it. So how intentional it was, I don't know, but there was definitely it just didn't hit him there. Yeah, absolutely. The puck that went up in the air, up over his back. He contorted himself a little bit like a a young Vasilevsky and managed to uh, kick it out with with the heel of a skate. Uh, definitely one of my favorite saves I've seen in a long time. Speaking of scorpion saves, boys, I didn't have this on the list of things to talk about this week, but now that you mentioned it, Demko. Oh, the one-handed goalie in Vancouver. Demko set a record. Like that had to be a record. There is no way anybody's made a scorpion save on a shot that high off the ice before. Greatest elevation. Yeah, like honestly, God, he kicked his legs up. And the best part is, the best part is if you haven't, folks, if you haven't seen the sequence, go find it. There are two parts to me that stand out. First of all, folks, he loses his blocker and his stick in the net before this. So the scorpion save was made during a wild scramble without a blocker on his hand. He had already squared up and stopped Artemi Panarin on one shot without the blocker. This was Panarin again with an open look. You can actually see Demko's head and eyes looking over at the release while he's lying on his stomach. And then as Panarin shoots, he goes into this, kicks his heels up, and the elevation on this scorpion, he kicks his heels up to the point, I think his stomach actually comes off the ice. I have, like somebody needs to meme this, where he comes back down (laughs) to the ice and then immediately goes into doing the worm. Because that's how much (laughs) momentum he had as his legs came down from the scorpion, that his body was like sort of doing the worm. And then the best part of the sequence was hearing him talk about it afterwards. The third save, and he was waving his glove, so lesson to Thatcher, he learned the hard way. Losing his blocker does not mean he gets a whistle. He was waving his bare hand at the ref like, hey, stop play. Never did. Puck gets moved around, and it's Panarin winding up for a one-timer. He's got no blocker, tucks it in behind his hip, and makes a pad save into the corner. That's when the ref blew the whistle because it looked like the Canucks would get possession. Talking to him afterwards, he purposely set up off angle on that Panarin one-timer, assuming, A, that Panarin was going to shoot blocker knowing he didn't have one, and knowing that he couldn't use his hand, wanting to have more torso coverage above his pad in case Panarin got that one-timer up off the ice. Like, amidst all that madness that is going on, and what appears to be desperation and waving his bare hand at the referee, the presence of mind to change your angle, knowing where your coverage lacked, shading to the blocker, knowing you could still use your glove to make up the given away coverage on the other side if Panarin did indeed go there. Having that presence of mind and that thought process as everyone else appears to be losing their minds, like there was like, it was like the opening scene from Private Ryan. There were bodies everywhere during that scramble. But like just to sort of zone back in and make that read and shift your body that way, I was just, I was kind of blown away by the whole thing. It was awesome. Goalie IQ right there in a nutshell, isn't it? Yeah. Can we talk about that dumb rule though? I mean, I know it's a rule. I know they weren't supposed to blow the whistle there, but it's a lot different when it's a goaltender in the line of fire. He could just, if he had a little bit less goalie IQ, he could have just as easily tried to make that blocker save. Shattered his hand. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's just crazy. Well, and it's I, for one play that happens once a season. Can we not just protect them? Uh, hold on. The, the hold problem, on. problem is actually, they'll, actually they'll all start losing them the next okay, night. Okay. It happened the next night. Robin Leonard lost on, his really? blocker. Yeah, really? had the same discussion with the referee uh, and was told why, why the whistle didn't go. Uh, Hutch, uh, I disagree with you on this. I, I think it's uh, a good rule just based on... I know, I know it, and it is dangerous. I'll, I'll give you that. There's, there's no arguing uh, that fact, but it's yeah, guys will be dropping yeah, their gloves. You, you, just honestly, yeah, you, you give us an inch, we'll take a mile. Yeah, you know that, Hutch. You know, well, we I do. Will. It's gone, it's gone through my head, and I'm, and sorry, I'm just pausing. I'm wondering, can you? Is there any way you can see whether there was something intentional? Probably not. Uh, so you'd have you'd have know. it would it's it would tough, be like situation. knocking the net off on a two on zero so that you get a breakaway. Now it's an automatic goal. You would have to be like, okay, if you lose your glove, it's a penalty. So are we willing to go that far? Every time we we lose or drop a glove, it's a penalty. Like yeah, there'd have to be some. You'll get the whistle, but it's a penalty. Like there'd have to yeah, be some maybe, ramification. Maybe. And I'd almost be okay with that. Um, I was more shocked at how many people didn't know the rule. I was shocked that the goalies yeah. didn't know the rule, to be perfectly blunt. Yeah. Well, it's like holding up your hand when your skate blade falls off and hoping they're going to blow the whistle for you because we've seen that too, and that's not dangerous in the same level, right? <laughs> um, I, I actually did see somebody, and, and I apologize for not knowing who we should credit on, on Twitter, who actually made the suggestion on that McDavid goal, said, I just turn around knocking the net off. If you see him coming through four guys like that, I don't want to be the guy who gets posterized. But when he's loading up outside the blue line, waiting for his teammates to get onside, as the best defense might be just to force the oiler who's trying to clear the zone to stay inside force the zone. Outside. That, yeah, like, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. it. Uh, Tackle him. And, and he had 60 feet to do all that. 60 yeah. feet. That's what I say. Like and, could have done it in 30, probably. It's, the, we, hear, uh, we hear from goalies all the time, like in, in more traditional rushes, we hear it a lot. As a matter of fact, McElhenney is going to talk about it in the pro reads he did after this. Um, uh, after we finished doing this interview for the podcast, we did three pro reads to sort of compliment it. And he's gonna, one of, that's one of the things he talks about is sort of wanting guys to force the issue higher in the zone so he can make the read, like force a guy to pass or shoot higher, like try and take that option away. Craig Anderson's talked with us that, about that as well. And that's what makes this so tough is like he doesn't come through that crowd until he's right on top of you. So there is no sort of early preparation time. You'd rather actually have all four guys miss at the blue line or in the neutral zone and have McDavid on a clear cut breakaway well, than I'm sure you Connor would can that type that. of play. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure he's done. Yeah, exactly. He's done it many times, but um, that you, you'd almost game. have a, you know, I think as a goalie, you'd probably almost rather have a clear cut breakaway than him emerging out of those four bodies right on top of you at that kind of speed. This may sound strange, but I think Georgie gets, uh, out of this pretty good because most thoughts and most reaction, uh, to that goal that the Oilers scored against the New York Rangers has been all about the four guys, the skaters that he beat. And I haven't seen much on on the goaltender. Uh, and we all know the, who it is, but most of the um, amazement has been about skating by the four players. So if there's a think, silver lining to it, I'll go there. I think anytime you see a play like this, which you don't see very often, obviously, I think by the time he gets through the fourth guy, everybody's thinking, well, of course it's going. Mm -hmm. It's almost like it's just the inevitable conclusion of the play. And the poor goaltender just has nothing he can do at that point. Um, 
And for the good of Go our game, him. Hutch, I'm, I'm kind of glad that uh, that McDavid finished it because it's talked about uh, and gone viral uh, everywhere. And for him to go through all those players and then get stopped, it just be, I was watching the game. I did happen to be flipping back and forth between the Canucks game and, and that Oilers game. And I, it would have been a great play, but not, not like this. You're on it. Well, that's it. You're out of the union. Go I know, on. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. <laughs> what if it ended with a Thatcher Demko at the crossbar scorpion save? I mean, then everybody wins. Okay. I'm fine. Yeah, if you missed the net, that would be awful. <laughs> okay, well, I'm just gonna pause and uh, and take a little break here and see what I can do to get back into your good books. Uh, there'll be somebody. Uh, the there'll be somebody at the door in three minutes to collect the union card, Darren. Wait for the knock. Yeah, hang on. Then we're alone here, Woody. We don't want that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You're okay. I think maybe just a brief penalty or something for. I would, right. So uh, this will be easy. You got a two minute penalty here, Darren. Woody, just go keep talking for two minutes. This should be gravy for you. Okay, just, we're goalies. We don't have to serve our own penalties. It's an amazing play because it's got every thir- like 31 other teams in their dressing room today are talking about that play. And the, the skaters are looking at the goalie saying, what should we have done? The goalie is looking at the skaters saying, uh, this is how you how you play that. Uh, like everybody's trying to figure out what to do. Okay. Woody brought another one up that I know we're probably about a week late, but you were talking about Binner earlier. Um, Jordan Bennington fighting? Maybe. Well, should goaltenders have to serve their own penalty if it's a misconduct? Because it's kind of absurd that another player sits in the box for 10 minutes. Your team's not short. What is the point of that even? How about uh, goaltender takes a 10-minute misconduct and the backup has to come in? Did, Am I going to get kicked out of the union for that one? No, because they just wouldn't give them misconducts anymore. Probably not. But if we didn't discuss that one, then we should have because uh, I'm with I'm actually with you on that one. They can take my card away for this one. Penalties, I get it because you could take a trip doing a poke check, right? Like accidents happen. You're, I mean, but if you're going to if you're going to rise to the level where you need to be tossed for 10 minutes, you should probably have to have a timeout. And Darren. Speaking of the spectacle and the sport and everybody talking it, come on, man. That would be like around the, you know, water cooler talk the next day. Did you see Jordan Bennington sitting in the penalty box for 10 minutes in yeah. all his gear? Like that would totally rise to the to the level of league-wide conversation. So change that rule. As far as I know, a goalie's never been in the penalty box. <sighs> yeah. Have yeah, you ever seen know. a goalie in the penalty box, even uh, off a line brawl or anything like that? Even, no. even if they just put put the goalie in there. To, to try and calm the situation down and let him I've never seen a goalie in a penalty box. No, they just toss, toss a us weird out. memory of something. Hey, but if, so if, if Jordan Bennington fights Nazem Kadri, which was the last situation, and they just fight, does, does he, he's out, right? Actually, no. I, I found it. I haven't watched it yet, but I did have a memory, and it, all it took was a little bit of time on, goal, on uh, Google. And uh, here's a YouTube video from uh, 2020 of a Mercyhurst goaltender being put in the oh. box for a 10-minute penalty. Got to watch that and figure that one out. We'll report back next week. College, wow. yes. That's, I remember that, too. That's Yes. Yeah, you know what, Darren? I think you just get... I was going to say you just get tossed as, if you fight as a goalie. Um, but usually that's about crossing center ice that gets you tossed. Right. So now we got to look at the rules because only one... But they both get tossed and only one usually crosses center ice, right? Like, so... I but don't if, know. But if he fights Kadri, uh, a player, Kadri serves as five-minute major for fighting. What does what does Bennington do? Yeah. So here's the here's I see. I don't know. We're gonna have we're gonna have to we're gonna have to bring on an expert and get into the rules. We're gonna have to have an expert on rules. Speaking of rules, 
not to call him out on it, but Mr. Hofer broke one in his NHL debut. He had he had colored tape on the end of his knob. So there's one that like gets Hutch caught that one. There's one that gets called like they're like it's a silly rule. They just would have brought out a roll of white tape and taped over it. But like that one, guys get away with it all the time. We've seen a couple goalies this year have have dark tape on the inner knobs. It's like random whether the referee remembers to call it or not. I bet yeah. you Joel Hofer does that every game. Well, it's, it, honestly, it probably does. See, and he probably isn't aware of the rule. It's same with Thatcher. I was actually in the Canucks locker room pre-pandemic, and Thatcher was taping sticks. And I'm like, I said, you know, hey, we, we do this thing where the goalies tape sticks and we film it and sort of get your sort of quirks on how you tape it. Would you be interested? And he's like, yeah. And as he's taping, he's like, I do it. And as he's taping and I'm like, hey, by the way, you can't do that. He's like, what? He was taping. He was taping colored tape on the end of the knob. I'm like, you're not allowed to have a colored tape on the end of your knob. And he's like, and the equipment manager, Red Hamilton, Brian Hamilton, Red was walking by and he's like, nope, can't do it. And the question sort of was, why? And we're like, it's a, it's a good point. It's a fair question. We know why the, why the rule existed in the in, originally sort of black black tape that could be confused for a puck ending up in the net and confusing the officials. But I think we're past that now. So maybe there's another rule we need to revisit. We're going to have a segment on rules that need to be changed. We need to bring on an NHL official who happens to also be a goaltender. Questions for the ref. Who's it going to be? I'll find out that uh, that answer about the fighting thing. And the, the tape thing, they, it, it gets called once every... 30 times that a goalie is using color tape out there. The refs don't even like what the refs don't want to do it. They don't want to. Well, it's not a penalty either. No, it's, no, not it's a just a, yeah, it's just a, warning. Just a little strip of. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's go over to uh, the hockey shop, the hockey shop.com. Uh, of course, uh, black Friday sales coming up. Uh, Woody. Yeah. Black Friday's coming up. Like I said, make sure you check the inventory, look for items that you want on your Christmas list. And, and I would say by Black Friday, you should be making those purchases if you want to make sure you have things under the tree. That's going to apply, I think, to a lot of industries and a lot of gift selections this year. So good advice for people. Don't be like me. That whole Christmas Eve thing isn't going to work anymore. Um, get your get your choices in early and look for sales opportunities at Black Friday. And I can't tell you whether it's going to be one of the sale items or not, but we are going to have Cam walk us through the second price point, which is already at a great price of the Warrior Chest Protectors this week. Um, so yeah, let's let's just go over to Cam and let him explain how these things work. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia. I'm Kevin Woodley. He's Cam Matwiv. We come here for his expertise. We also come here every once in a while because I still like to play dress-up. I miss the days of Casey Finnegan, Mr. Dress-up in the Tickle Trunk, so... Uh, I come down here, I try and take as much crap off the walls this time, and I always try it on, see how it feels, check out the gloves, make myself as big a pain in the ass as I can to cam Matt with. He then has to put it all back. Today, we actually decided to wear it out. Now, with a catch, I actually broke the mic clip, putting it on Cam's chest protector, and so he's under very strict instructions not to move because his microphone is just basically wedged into his warrior chest protector. This is very difficult for someone who likes to be very fidgety, so. It's actually, I just told him, just handle this segment. All the same the way as you do when you goalie. Oh. Same way you play goal. Oh, you got me. Don't oh. move. Hey, oh, don't move. I've seen you play. Just stand still and tell me about why I'm wearing this warrior chest protector, what model it is, which one you've got on. Let's get into this. So the reason why... You guys have tuned in. Uh, I'm currently wearing... Other than to see me. 
<laughs> More so me. <laughs> e plus, E senior, warrior, ritual chests. Uh, this encompasses their two um, senior model chests. Two different price points, um, two different morsel styles, and geared to actually two different people. Um, what I'm wearing here is just the E Senior chest. Uh, what this guy's getting geared toward is uh, more of that entry level chest. Um, get you out, get you out on the ice. You know, I wouldn't be going to go play pro hockey in this by any means. Don't worry, nobody's <laughs> inviting you to play pro hockey anytime soon, anyways. Cam, kick some rocks. Stand still. Keep talking. Uh, so. <laughs> In terms of overall feel-wise, it offers great flexibility. I'd love to show you, but I'd knock off the mic, so I'm not allowed to do that. Um, again, very adjustable, which gives... I just noticed the arms there, like they're, they're they're basically tied in with lace, so you can adjust the length on those. Correct, correct. So you have that ease of adjustment. The same thing also goes on for the backplate in terms of the way you can adjust the body height, um, similar to what you've seen in Warrior's chest pass. However, um, again, a little bit less padding... Oh. Oh, it's happened. He fixed his mask. He screwed the mic. Turkey. Told you to stand still, Cam. Sit, All right, continue. Sit still. So, again, if you're looking for more of that price point constant chest, um, but you like the Warriors adjustability and stuff like that, that's where this E chest has come in. However, if you do want something a little bit more padded, a little bit more protective, um, again, a bit more of what you've kind of usually seen from Warrior at this kind of like middle of the road price point, you have the E+. Plus. So this does feature the new style hinged arm design, um, which does offer pretty supreme level of protection in the arms, even for what would be a senior level chest. I gotta say, when I put this on, um, my impressions were it felt more like a pro level of protection um, than a senior level, to be honest. Correct, and this is helping to kind of round out Warriors offering for their chest. A little bit more squared off uh, in this chest, even in comparison to the E that I'm currently wearing. This one's modeled a little bit more after the Pro. That one's modeled after the Pro Plus um, in their higher-end models. Um, again, squared off shoulders. Um, I look big. <laughs> he does. He also has chair. Overall feel-wise, very good. Still has that same level of warrior adjustability that you have you know, come to be accustomed to, for sure. But uh, again, a bit of an upgrade in overall protection. Again, slightly different price point, but more expensive kind of between the two units. However, once again, oh, I'm sorry, somebody's Velcroing something and someone has a very sensitive mic. I just wanted to show off the adjustability. Yeah, well, Don't move. Don't move. Oh. Stay still. See? Man, this is, this is hard to stay side, still today. Side flaps are removable as well. Yes. So not something featured on this chest, featured on that chest, and then the rest of the way through their entire lineup. Again, great overall padding density, great adjustability, awesome price point for someone who's growing and kind of tearing through their lineups not quite ready for a pro chest protector but needs some of that you know same level of protection also senior beer league things like that perfect chest for that okay perfect well done cam now stay still i'm just gonna go get all the gear for the next segment um don't move i just have my coffee i'm gonna stay just, there ugh. quiet if they've got more questions because we do have these two models. And if you look back at our old reviews, you'll see the two other models that Cam was talking about. We do have reviews of those as well. The next, the pro level of these, the pro version of these models, we've already done a review on. But if you do have questions, sizing, fit, which model is right for you, where can they get you? 604-589-8299. There's obviously a lot of mobility here because I keep having to adjust my mask and I have no problem doing it. You 
are not allowed to adjust your mask, stay still. Still. 1-800-567-7790. And if you happen to be in the area, check them out in person at the hockey shop out here in, in Surrey in the outskirts of Vancouver. You too can come down and play dress up and Cam will tell you how to fit a chest protector properly. I'll be able to move this time. Maybe. Just stay there. It is one of the most personal pieces of equipment, isn't it? The chesty. And that second price point, if you do your research, you can find some great protection uh, at a very decent level of cost, Woody. Yeah, yeah, big difference. I mean, I look at that Warrior X3E+, Plus, which is the one I was wearing in the video. And a reminder for those listening on the podcast, you can catch video simulcasts a video presentation of the gear segment each week on our YouTube channels, Instagram, uh, on the website at ingolmag.com. Below each episode, we post the the video of, of the gear review. That one I had on, like, felt like it felt like it would have no problem with the level of protection for, for where I play. And it's $230 less than the pro model. So, um, you know, Warriors done a nice job of, I think in the past, they were... They had more of a sort of soft traditional feel. They added the mechanical arms, which some people loved. We loved them when we tried them. Not everyone did, but they had both options. Um, they presented a little smaller in the past. They, they weren't the biggest looking units. And now they've they found a really nice sort of blend between the two lines. One where it's a little more softer traditional feel, a little more flex. And the other one that you know might be a little more rigid out of the box, but presents really big, has a lot of protection. Um, so I, I like the fact they've gone with two distinct lines, two distinct models, and with the two price points in each one, you know, there's an option there. You don't have to, you don't have to be in the six, $700 range. Um, you can, you can easily get away with playing in that senior model. Uh, it's, uh, really changed over the course uh, of the years, uh, the chesty and, uh, how it integrates with the arms and, uh, and of course the shoulder pads and going big and then getting down to, uh, to more manageable levels with the new NHL rules. And Curtis McElhaney, who is our Sensorina VR feature interview this week, uh, he he would have experienced like everything uh, through the course of his career. Hutch, I mean, the 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 rise and well, the, the start where you get dinged all the time uh, to the overprotection and now to where we are. There isn't a piece of equipment that is more dear to my heart than the chest and arms because <laughs> of what you and I grew up playing with, yes. Darren. Forget Curtis McElhaney who is a young, young man compared to the two of us. Anytime I see somebody throw up on Twitter, one of those images from the old Cooper catalog from 1978 or something. Daryl Ray just, just did that the other day. Oh, really? With the gloves. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that one. Uh, man, does it ever warm my heart? I love a good chest and arm because I just think back to all the pain that we went through. And I know, as you said, it's relative. Uh, I'm sure for Curtis, when he came into the NHL, it was not nearly the same piece of equipment either, and he probably felt every shot in a way that you don't now. It's ch absolutely changed the game. We we talk about uh, you know how the helmet, the modern mask, has has enabled goaltenders to play a little bit lower to the ice, and that changed the game. But the ability to trap and smother pucks with your body because of this modern uh, chesty is incredible. And then to see that you've got a second price point line like this that is as good as it is. Um, 
making the game, I, I don't want to say affordable for everybody, but it, it's fantastic that the access to this technology is a little bit more affordable than it is with all the, the top top of the line gear so that everybody can get access now to uh, to something that's, as I say, changes the way you play the game. Just love it. Well, and listen, Curtis McElhenney is a gear guy, right? Like he gets into it a little bit in this interview uh, talking about how when he first started, like he had his toe laces done up super tight and Amika Kippersoft used to do the same thing. And you know, speaking of helmets, I remember covering a game where Curtis McElhenney took a slap shot in off the mask through traffic and split him wide open, um, like just right across the forehead. I think he was with the Ducks at the time. But a reminder, this interview, we talk a little bit more about retirement and where he's going and a little bit about his career, but a reminder that this is the second time we've had Curtis on. And if you know if you enjoy this, which I know you will, make sure you go back and listen to episode 28 with Curtis McElhenney, which is right as he's leaving Toronto, an experience he admitted at the time sucked, um, and signing with the Tampa Bay Lightning for what would be two Stanley Cups. We really get into how his love for gear um, made him a goalie and, and sort of how that path started with him back in that old interview, as well as talking a lot about sort of how he reinvented himself, which he touches on here as well with the Columbus Blue Jackets after fracturing his pelvis doing a crease movement. So there's there's a lot more to sort of the path to here. We get into, it's more of a catch-up this time, but trust me, folks, you want to go back and listen to the first interview as well in episode 28 because it was a doozy. He was a rock star in Toronto. That was a big loss at the time uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it took them a while to uh, find out uh, a suitable replacement uh, for that backup role that could, give them an opportunity to, to win. Uh, there was no Censorina, uh, Censorina VR when, when McElhaney broke into the National Hockey League. Hutch? There was no Censorina when McElhaney broke into the league, and I wonder uh, if it's something that he's going to get a little bit involved with now that, as you'll hear in the interview, he's doing some, some remote coaching as well. The technology of today uh, is absolutely incredible, and we've been talking recently about Censorina and their new skills competition that it's going to be five months long leading into a, a championship that gets you the opportunity to possibly go to the NHL playoffs and watch them if you're the overall champion. But uh, it's been a while since we've mentioned some of the very specific things that are available to you if you're a Sense Arena goaltender. The opportunity to face video shooters well above your level so that you can improve your ability to rele- read the release um, I, I just think it's absolutely incredible. Both that ability to read the release, that ability to face overclock shots so that when you get back to your league, things are going to feel so much slower, so much easier. Um, working with screens, you can't get enough of that in practice because players don't want to stand in front of shots coming from the point or closer in. You can get that in Sense Arena. Um, I love the tools like the box control where you can actually see the lines on the screen that show you how you can cover the net properly wherever that puck moves. It's not just a static thing that your coach does on the ice with you. Invaluable work, coaches, absolutely. But now the ability to track the the movements of that box through a full drill, uh, that's now taking the technology, and they're not just mimicking what happens on the ice, but they're giving you tools that you don't have access to on the ice. Um, the chance to replay the shots and see exactly what happened instead of, you know, I know Curtis talks in the interview today about video review, um, absolutely essential tool. Well, now the second a shot has happened, you can turn it around in Sense Arena and see exactly what you did and maybe how you could change things up a little bit. 
And then the training plans by <clears throat> incredible coaches like Bill Ranford, uh, who can walk you through a, a multi-day training plan so that you can use this tool uh, to, to better your game. The, the level of, of opportunity, if you're a Sense Arena goaltender, is absolutely incredible. Uh, I know we all love it. Uh, I know the goaltenders we work with love it, and I'd encourage people to uh, to give it a look. Go see sensearena.com. Go to uh, ingoalmag.com and check out the comprehensive review we put up that that probably needs some updating because this is software that changes all the time. Uh, new releases give you new features, give you new opportunities. Absolutely incredible. Well worth it with or without this new global skills competition, but uh, we encourage you to grab your your uh, sense arena and get involved in the competition as i know darren millard will he keeps threatening every week have you posted a score yet darren i've not posted a score okay it's time this week i know this week let's look for darren millard was, in the top 32 i you was, can actually go to sense arena's website and check out the leaderboard as well will darren make an appearance on the leaderboard this week i doubt i'll make an appearance on the leaderboard i have been using uh the sense arena headset but I, i'm trying to get to a point where i'm uh, not going to embarrass myself with my score. That, that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to do. In the next update, uh, can you talk to the folks over at Sense Arena? Can they post uh, the Connor McDavid rush so we can work on how to stop that? Oh, wouldn't that be incredible? <laughs> that wouldn't that be incredible? Uh, that's uh, that's for down the road. Uh, right now, it's Curtis McElhaney, our feature interview, brought to you by Sense Arena VR on In Goal Radio, the podcast. Ecstatic to welcome back to the program for his second appearance on the In Goal Radio podcast, Curtis McElhenney, now retired, but also now, since we talked to you last, two-time Stanley Cup champion, Curtis McElhenney. Um, there's so much I want to catch up on. We, we sort of deep dove your career and all the evolution of it last time we had you on. Um, but the last couple of years, let's start with the decision um, to, to hang him up this year. What, walk us through that process and how you ultimately arrived at it. Well... Uh, I, you know, I think like we talked about back in the summer as free agency was transpiring and all that was going on, the intention was still to play one more year. Um, but it wasn't necessarily so much con convincing myself, but more the family that, um, the situation in Tampa was they, they were moving on and looking for something else and whether or not the family was up for moving and they were, I just think the, there, there weren't opportunities that presented itself and, you know, I, I'm not going to dive into the opportunity or look at it any deeper than, well, you know, my last year wasn't very good. You know, it wasn't good enough to maintain that position. And once you start creeping up there in age, the reality is if you don't perform, you're done. So it gets harder as you get older, but you know, it's, it's tough to argue with the way it ended. I mean, I, I certainly got to enjoy uh, two Stanley cup championships and, and watch a tremendous team uh, compete to win those. So I don't really have any regrets about it. it. Yeah, it would have been nice, but it sure is nice sitting on my couch, kind of watching highlights and, you know, just marveling over some of the skill that the players have today. How tough was last year? Because, I mean, it, it feels like from the outside, talking to a lot of different guys, like just it was a strange year. Everybody was affected differently by COVID. Uh, it was a shortened season. So especially for backups, like tiny sample size, like one bad game could sewer your numbers for the whole year. And you talk about, you know, you're you know, coming off a season where you, you didn't like the way you played or where your numbers weren't reflective of how you played. Is that, is it any frustrating at all? Or just what, how tough was it for everybody last year sort of getting through it? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's just bizarre. I think, especially for a lot of the backups and even teams that had starting goalies that missed the playoffs or weren't in the bubble the first round. Um, you know, that was a full calendar year. It felt like before you were playing hockey again, and you know, some guys just hit their stride and picked up right where they left off. Other people struggled. Um, for myself, I, I felt like I had some good nights and then there were other nights where I just got absolutely blasted. And, you know, when you're a backup goalie getting a handful of games, especially in a shortened season, if you get seven goals scored against you in a night, it's, it's, you know, that takes a good four to five games of quality hockey to recover from that, at least numbers wise. So, um, were there good games? Yeah. And then were there some games where it just went south real fast absolutely well and i was gonna say tampa you know i, I take a look at the analytics steve aliquet lets me peek under the hood at clear sight um mm-hmm. two years ago they, they were really impressive defensively last year in the playoffs they became impressive defensively but they were a little looser in the regular season than they had been the year before you're inside that room you're inside that crease the perception i think and and we hear it a lot about vasileski oh he's playing on a great team it's not necessarily an easy team to play behind at times, no? Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I mean, I don't know all the analytics, nor do I understand them. So I have to rely on people that uh, dive into that pretty deep. But, you know, just from my personal experience and in regards to watching that team and playing behind them, there are nights where, you know, Vassy just stands on his head and, you know, he makes it look pretty easy on a nightly basis. And he's just been so insanely consistent. Um, that you take it for granted at times. I think sometimes that's the case. I mean, I guess you could refer back to Cooch's interview and the understanding of how important he is to that team. But yeah, I I mean, you need all those components kind of coming together at the right time. I think he certainly cleans up a lot of things and maybe he lets that team play a little looser than they should. But, you know, as far as their playoff um, performances the last two years, I will say that the Tampa Bay Lightning took a tremendous step in terms of their defensive responsibility and being able to make plays. And they lost that entire line that really allowed them to do that. But, you know, from lines one through four, they were uh, much better in regards to their decision-making and their defensive commitment. Now, what was, what's the lat, like, like you said, you finished on top, like it- as much as you may have wanted to play a little more, two Stanley Cups to end your career. What, what are the lasting memories for you from those runs? Um, really just watching that group come together. I mean, the year before in Carolina, uh, you know, I got another opportunity just to play a lot of games, actually start playoff games, which I would never in any ordinary year get that opportunity. So um, I had that incredible experience for my personal career and then, you know, getting to be a part of Tampa as they were coming off that first round loss to Columbus the year before uh, a little chip on their shoulder, you know, make some transactions at the deadline to pick up some key players that really were instrumental in that third line. And, um, you know, I, I think the break too, as we made those trades that first year, um, you know, everybody had high expectations and it felt like we gave up a lot just to get those two players. Um, So once that break took place with COVID, we really kind of took off afterwards. I think the team just kind of turned the page and it was like a new season was starting over once we returned and we all went into the bubble. Um, But, you know, it it was just incredible to watch uh, that group commit to something. And then each game and each step, I think that five overtime game against Columbus in the first round there was, it was almost like just a, a hurdle and had kind of burst forth. And, you know, beyond that, it was like, 
the floodgates were open and the team just kept growing and growing and growing. And, you know, each night you were seeing different players step up and just have tremendous performances. Personally, to get the Hoist the Cup, I mean, I remember seeing, I mean, your parents there. Is that the, is that the biggest takeaway from that? It would have been tough because your family couldn't be there in that bubble, but at least having your folks. Yeah, I mean, it, the way that all transpired as far as families getting into the bubble was kind of odd. Um, you know, my family, having lived up in Calgary, just had to make the short trip. Uh, they stayed in the hotel right next to us. Uh, I'm pretty sure they did not have a window. The only window they had was into the mall, which there was nothing going on due to COVID. So how my parents stayed in that room for five nights together to, to watch hockey, I have no idea, but you know, what an incredible experience for them. And, you know, for them to get that opportunity to come down on the ice and even afterwards, um, that first cup win was pretty special. I think the best part about it was it was just the immediate group, a handful of parents and family that were in town and were allowed in. But I mean, they were down in the dressing room afterwards. I've got, you know, pictures of my dad drinking with the cup. It was just, it was really nice just to spend the evening um, with the team that you had spent the last couple of months chasing down something and really got to enjoy that. I mean, when I compare the two, it, it was tremendous with the fans and, and having all the family, but it, it just seemed chaotic after that, that win that night in Tampa. So both experiences were great, but for me, I always cherish that first one just based on the fact that it was the team that had spent so much time together. And then my parents getting to sneak into the dressing room and hang out with the team and celebrate a little bit. So pretty cool. Nice and intimate. And I guess like full circle, right? Like, I, like everyone, I'm sure your parents played a massive role driving you to practices and all the stories we hear from minor hockey. So to have them like almost bookended it, right? They had the sacrifice of the five days in the hotel to make sure they were part of that special celebration. Yeah. I mean, tremendous. They, they've been through all the ups and downs. I mean, I've insanely fortunate to have gotten an opportunity to even play one NHL game. Uh, the fact that it was in Calgary was another uh, bonus for my parents, that being their hometown. So, you know, there there were a lot of great things that happened. I mean, 16 years for me personally is it's it's tremendous. I mean, was it was it pretty the whole way? No, absolutely not. But the bottom line is is that I got that opportunity. People provided it to me, and you know, it, it certainly capped off with the right way, which was, you know, yeah, I couldn't have written it any better. No. Outside of the two cup runs, is there a memory that stands? Like, is it too fresh to look back? If I were to ask you to reflect on your career, is there one that jumps out? You'd already mentioned Carolina and playing in the Eastern Conference Final. What is there one that jumps out for you outside of those? Um, you know, it's it's tough. I always I tend to take a lighter look at things, and there are always things that make me laugh as I look back on them now. I think my first game in Calgary. Um, Kipper had this agreement with the coach that if he was having an off night, he would never get pulled. He could only pull himself. So, you know, it was a matter of kind of keeping eyes on him to see, okay, I'm done. And the first game I believe was against San Jose. I still have the stat sheet up in my house somewhere. Um, it, it doesn't say the stats, thankfully, but I got credit for two shots on net. I think there was only one shot. I had two turnovers and one goal. So, you know, that's one of those things I'll always remember. And then the next day I was on a plane down to the minors to straighten out my game, as they like to say. I, you know what I remember from Calgary was that mask. I'll never yeah, forget your, your Flames mask. Yeah, I'm pretty demonic, but um, 
the painter was a local guy in town, just did some tremendous work. And yeah, they, they were cool. Yeah, that had a little edge to it. They, you, you, the masks mellowed out as you got older and had kids and stuff. But that thing, that thing was like a, that thing was sort of like a hardcore sort of nightmare type thing with the the skulls and the flames. And I think there might have even been a pistol involved. I love that one. Yeah, um, there was all guns, demons, skulls, flames, all that good stuff. Um, but like you said, it it definitely uh, got a little calmer as I got older. Um. If you could go back now, as you're making this transition from playing and doing some coaching, if recently retired Curtis McElhenney could go back to that kid who made that first start with the Calgary Flames or even just turning pro, what would be the advice? What would you, what would you talk about? I mean, that's, that's so tough because, I mean, I look at all my experiences and if I didn't get shipped around to so many teams, I probably wouldn't have met as many goalie coaches uh, as I did and learned different things. I mean, nowadays I, I look at it and I see for the most part that goalie coaches are all teaching the same thing technically. So we're all in agreement on the same things. And the game was evolving so much from when I broke into the league. I mean, I was still strapping my pads as tight as I could when I was coming to training camps with the flames. And, you know, I had no concept of this idea of raising the right leg to make a recovery or anything. I mean, I probably made skate saves when I first tried coming to camp. So, um, you know, so many things have changed that it's kind of tricky that to say, Oh, well, if you had to done this differently or you had to just focused on this, I mean, my mentality was, Oh, I just wanted to be the hardest working guy out there. I wanted to stop every puck and, you know, did it pay off? Yeah, I think it did. I mean, it, it was a learning curve for me to kind of understand the way the game was evolving and to get those experiences and learning what an RVH is when you're 29 years old is is not a, a fun thing. I mean, that that puts your body in a pretty uh, tough situation. And, you know, I've got a couple of knee surgeries now to prove it and um, high ankle sprains and all that other fun jazz that comes with being a goalie. But um so I wouldn't change anything. I don't know if there's a message I would have relayed to myself who maybe just, you know, kind of trust the process, I guess, at the end of the day, right. You know, things certainly worked out for me personally. Um, it, it really just came back to a, a mental mindset of maybe I needed to be a little more calm in certain situations and, and not get so emotional about the things that were, were happening. Cause you know, you go through a lot of stuff throughout a professional career. It doesn't matter what level you're at. Now, Technically, you said everybody sort of teaches the same things. I, I know we talked last time about the voices you, you know, ran through as you moved through the league, and especially in Columbus with Ian Clark, who I have here now, and coming off a devastating injury, and then moving on to Tampa Bay as well. Curtis McElhenney, the goalie coach, where, what different influences do you pull from where? I pull from all of them, really. I mean, you know, we can go back to Dave Markubi and my first guy in Calgary. Uh, learned some things there. I mean, not a lot of playing time for myself personally, you know, then I, then I get that opportunity with uh, Ian in Columbus for a handful of years, taught me a ton of stuff technically that I never knew, uh, you know, hurt my body in many ways, but you know, I'm forever grateful because it allowed me to stay in the league and to kind of evolve my game, um, you know, and then we jump up to Toronto with Steve Briere, uh, you know, certainly takes a little bit, different approach to coaching goalies was a little more relaxed and laid back and would give me a little more space. Um, Mike Bales was the same way in Carolina and, and Franz down in Tampa to wrap up my career. So they all have an impact on me. They're, 
there were certain things I loved about all of them and in certain ways they helped me. And, and then there were things that I'm like, you know, I don't know if that's for me. And that's, that's on each goalie to kind of make those decisions. It's like, well, I'm going to take from this coach and, and try and improve my game. And if I don't really feel he's improving my game, then maybe we need to have a conversation and find ways that we can work together. And, the, you know, the tricky part for goalie coaches is a lot of times you don't have, I mean, you know, Franz in Tampa, for example, is working with Vasilevsky and then he turns around and he sees me standing there. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's quite a difference. You know, he's got capabilities that I'll never be able to have, especially at the age that he was working with me. So um, I, I guess we'll say that he had to dumb it down a little bit for myself, but you know, as far as personality wise goes, all those guys were great. And, and we all have good relationships. I try and keep in touch with all of them and just kind of poke them every now and then to see how things are going. Um, you know, and, and they all have influences on, on how I'm coaching now. So it's fun. It's like, I, I took the things that I really enjoyed from them and I try to apply that to the stuff that I'm teaching kids now and, and trying to get them to understand and you know, it, it's rewarding. It's, it, it's nice. I got to do it for an incredibly long time. My body's still in one piece right now, as many times as it's been put back together. So, um, you know, I, I get incredible value out of telling a kid some of the things that I learned over 16 years doing it professionally. Now you, like you said, you were thinking about playing. So there was a little bit of hesitation this summer in terms of what the next step was. You had opportunities, I believe, or at least could have, if you pursued them, had opportunities to coach at a professional level. You're staying in Colorado for now. Like, what's this transition like? Are you sure that's the next step or you want to just feel it out a little bit? And who are you? Give us, make sure we give a plug to where you're working now and who you're working with as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there were opportunities that came up and I guess that's the, the, the tell-all sign when, when teams start calling you and asking if you have any interest in goalie coaching. You're like, oh, well, I kind of still wanted to play, but I guess we're moving on. And for me, it wasn't hard. Um, I, I'm out here in Steamboat, Colorado. Um, I'm super excited about skiing and I love fishing and mountain biking and all those things. I'm now coaching my kids' hockey team. So, you know, I've got a lot on my plate, um, a lot of activities to look forward to. So it wasn't hard. I think when you've moved, I think we were about 35 times in 16 years, you know, it, it gets pretty old and it's a tough sell to the family. So, um, for us, it was a pretty simple decision to settle down and kind of find the routine here instead of trying to chase something else. And now um, I'm working with my fellow golf, uh, college partner, Matt Zaba from Mountain High Hockey. And, you know, he's based out of Denver. I'm up here in the mountains doing most of the video work for him and just video review. And uh, we'll do some mental skills training and things like that. Um, and it, it's been incredible. I mean, it's, it's great to talk to kids. I mean, we're, we're kind of starting at around age 12 is when I can really start helping kids out, I think. And then as it gets older, it's, you're really just fine tuning and trying to change the way that they see the game. And maybe if you can help them with reads, uh, like I said, technically, most of these kids have got that down. It's more just kind of understanding situations and how to improve reads and, and things to be aware of. So it's a lot of fun. It, I've enjoyed it so far. It's just like we're doing right now. It's usually I go over some video, we hop on a Zoom call and we have a good conversation. And it allows you to get some more time at home with the family rather than traveling 35 times in 16 years. I guess I, it's funny. I, I never realized the number was that high. Um, 
I think everybody just assumes life in, in the NHL is this spectacular lifestyle. And hey, it's great, right? But it's tough on families. Like, I don't think people realize just how much of a, a demand it is when you're moving around all the time. Yeah, it's great. I mean, you come into the league, you're kind of naive. You think you're the heir apparent to whoever you're going to be replacing. I was, you know, obviously behind a tremendous one in Calgary with Mika Kiprasov. Um, I guess the wake up call was when he played 76 games in back to back years and your only games were the three and fours every six to eight weeks. So, um, you know, that should have been a pretty good indication of where the organization and the league in general kind of had you pegged to be. Um, so it took me a while to kind of comprehend that and adjust to that role and, and find a way to succeed in it. But yeah, it's, uh, it was good. Now, Kipper, you talked about toe ties and having your pads tight. Like, Kipper never loosened his toe ties. Like, he had his pads on tight. His, when he dropped into the butterfly, his skates were literally off the ice. I used to watch that just as I was starting to learn all these things and know how much more stress that was putting on his body. And I, it just used to blow my mind. Mm-hmm. His, his routine, you got you to check. Like, I'd heard it was like 45 minutes of stretching before and after morning skate, before and after game. Like, what was his... You got a close look at that stretching routine. You start with him and you end with Vasilevsky. And those might be two of the most flexible guys I've ever seen in the league. Yeah, they're tremendous and very different uh, in regards to their approach to the game. I will say, I mean, you know, Kipper just looks like that guy who showed up, but he spent a tremendous amount of time stretching. Uh, We had those machines that you kind of crank out, you put your legs in and they go further and further out. And I could probably get to about 135 degrees, 135 degrees, and he was going the full 180 and then pushing the legs behind him with yoga blocks that he would stick in there. And it was a little disturbing just to see him sitting in there. It was, you know, and that was his routine. It worked for him. Um, wow. I mean, what a career he had until the last few there years there where I think he picked up a knee injury or something like that. But in terms of durability, he was about as good as they come. And it was you know, he stretched a ton, he got massages and steam room. And as far as what he did away from the rink, I have no idea. He kept himself, but whatever he did, he was an insanely consistent performer for a number of years for Calgary. And um, yeah, a special goalie to watch, that's for sure. You know, and then on the flip side, I had my career with uh, Vasilevsky, who's in his prime. I mean, I don't think he spends a minute of his day doing anything else besides getting ready for the next game, whether that's uh, work at home, his preparation before games. It's, it's just over the top. You know, you'll see the, those odd pictures where he's out fishing on his jet ski. And I think that's his uh, little break from the game. Um, but beyond that, I mean, yeah, he's, he's impressive. I'm sure he could play 75 games. No problem. I think he's just that type of a workhorse goalie and you don't see many of them anymore. You know, it's, it's not, um, and I don't know if that's just the demand that the game puts on goalies now, but it seems like, you know, 60, 55 to 60 is kind of the range that most number one goalies should be playing at this point. Now, he, are, there, are there lessons you can take away from watching Vasi at the end there? Like you said, there were things he did, there are saves he makes, there are positions he contorts himself into that, I don't know you could teach anyone, but obviously the work ethic that you talked about, I'm not sure, how, you know, and I remember hearing this from stories with guys that worked with him back when he was 18, like, you know, they'd be two minutes late to get out the door to go to practice and he'd be sitting there waiting with his bags, like, let's go. Um, are there lessons from, from the work ethic that the best goalie in the world still puts 
that type of work in. And that's probably why he's the best goalie in the world. Yeah, it hasn't stopped. I mean, you could go watch him if anyone ever has that opportunity to sneak into a practice and and just watch him perform. His compete level is off the charts. And, you know, we could say that about any goalie that gets to a professional level. We all we all compete. Um, you know, I, I think Bassey's fire is one of his assets that he has. I think he's toned it down in certain aspects of his game as well, where um, maybe it got the best of him. But, you know, the thing that I marveled at over the two years watching him was, you know, he has all the physical attributes and the mindset to be an elite goalie, but I just watched his hockey IQ continue to grow and grow and grow as he got more and more experience. I mean, he's already played, I think he's past 300 games now, but his experience and the things that he's seen in his short career and how many games he's logged, it's just, he's getting smarter and smarter. And when you combine that with the physical tools and the mindset that he already had, it's a scary combination. I mean, it's super scary. And we've, we've watched him the last couple of years just take over in the playoffs and be that dominating goalie that he can be. And when you're an opposing team and you're looking down at the other end and that's the guy you got to face, on top of all the other players that Tampa has, you know, that's a, that's a daunting task. Now, when you say hockey IQ, and you mentioned it before, I wanted to come back to it. You talked about sort of the reads and doing the video review with the kids and that that's the biggest area you can help them with growth. Have you got any examples of like, like a hockey IQ example where Vassy picked something up and then applied it or things that you're teaching the kids? Because I do think, and that's why we started Pro Reads at Ingoal, was the idea to, to show kids who can become quite at times maybe I don't want to say you know what I'm goalie school goalies is a term I hate and yet when everything you do is perfect movements into shots where you know they're coming that ability to read the game can get lost so how to can you give me a couple of examples of his hockey IQ growing and then how you try and teach kids that sure I think you know there's two situations that stand out for me with Vassi in in regards to things that he's started to do that are just you know, you don't see a lot of other goalies doing it. One is him turning his stick over when players are coming down on his glove side, kind of like a breakaway almost. He'll use it like a reverse poke check, but it's not, he's not throwing the stick out there, but just having the ability to make that read in that situation to prevent a player from pulling it far to the blocker side is incredible. Uh, I think he got burnt once last year in the playoffs on it. Uh, in the final, actually, I'm sure it was against Montreal. Um, somebody made a real heads-up play and just shot at five-hole, and it looked like a routine play. But the number of times I've seen him pull that off in tight, I mean, we're talking milliseconds for him to make that decision and make that play. And it just it looks so routine when he does it that you're like, how on earth did that happen? Or why wasn't the player looking at it? Um, another situation, same thing coming down the glove side. On a two-on-one, for example, he'll almost play like a like a VH in uh, on a rush play and just kind of hold his ground and just make this super casual like glove save where he kind of like come collapses down on it, and it looks so simple of a save, but to have the ability to kind of almost preload that side, take away the entire short side and upper part of the net while still having the ability to make a lateral save to his blocker is just tremendous, absolutely tremendous. And, you know, most goalies are just, you're locked in and your regular stance 
um, until the last second, but he's, yeah, that's there's there things like that, that you watch in his game and you're just like, okay, yeah, that's what, that's what elite guys do. They continue to evolve when they're already at the top. It's funny because we've seen Kerry and we had him on a while back uh, talking about that. Actually, during the pandemic where we, had, we ran a couple of clips by him where he had sort of loaded that same way. And he talked mm-hmm. about the same thing, like holding that short side, but having that leg loaded in case he needs to go. And just a great example. You're right. Like it, not many guys use it, but there's an example where we can learn something on a sort of what we would consider a post play. And these guys are integrating it into a rush chance. I, I guess the word I'm looking for is creativity. Yeah, and and that's I mean we're talking about the elite of the elite, and you know there's there's a ceiling for somebody like myself, and then there's a ceiling for those guys that are able to go to a whole other level, where you know they already have the athletic ability, the mindset, and their hockey IQ. You know most of them come into the game um, with a great IQ, and then it just continues to go, and that's where you see some of these guys just go to that next level. And, you know, the same goes for anybody, too, that, you know, a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, who's still, is he 36 now, and is still performing at an elite level. I mean, drastically different team that he's playing on this year. But, um, you know, to be doing what he's doing at 36 and, um, you know, a guy like Ryan Miller, they hang around. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool to see. Now, is that where video comes in and not just you, like maybe both cases working with kids now and using video to as a teaching tool to recognize different situations but was that part of your growth as a goaltender in the league like having those video sessions with coaches was it something where it was always with a goalie coach or did you start doing those types of things on your own as well looking at film and looking for tendencies is, is there is there something to be gained from that work yeah and i have a small disclaimer that i'll say now that i'm doing video work and trying to help kids out um, for myself personally, you know, the only time that I was looking at a lot of game film of myself was when the goalie coach brought it to me because we needed to address something. Um, you know, in my mind, if I had a great game and I, I felt like I was on top of the world and I was playing good, you know, in my mind, I looked as good as Vasilevsky. And then I saw the video <laughs> and, you know, the next thing I know, I'm like, Ooh, that is not pretty. I, that's not what I felt like out there in my mind. So I always like never really enjoyed watching myself on video. I love watching other people on video because I'm like, wow, that looks incredible. Those guys are amazing. But when I saw myself do it, it just kind of looked like a fish out of water sometimes. And it, it wasn't as cool as it felt when I was actually doing it. So there can be a negative to too much video. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean... You know, I, I think the, the great part about video is in, and now with the capabilities is that we can rewind it. We can go through slow motion. We can do a whole host of things where you can really, really see um, the technical side of it. And, you know, the clarity of it provided you're, you're at a decent level is the video footage is usually pretty good. Now, is this, I mean, we're looking for silver linings. This pandemic has been tough on a lot of people. Is there maybe a silver lining there that We've started to see young kids, you know, look for Zoom, look for opportunities with work to work with coaches in this way, as opposed to constantly having to be on the ice to get better. Yeah. And I think, you know, the big thing too is, you know, we mentioned that you, all every kid today is logging a ton of miles in terms of the technical stuff and the private lessons, the goalie schools, um, things outside of that's, that's physical wear and tear on your body. And 
as we mentioned, most of these kids are pretty technically sound now. They all have the basic fundamentals down. They all understand what the RVH is and, you know, the post integration. And do you hit that nonstop from the time you're 12 years old? You know, I think the video is beneficial in regards to, you know, you can see things on there and you can kind of practice them mentally and not have the physical wear and tear on your body. You know, that's not to say that you don't need to perform those exercises on the ice, but sometimes it's, it's nice too, if you can use that practice time almost as mental rehearsal by watching video and kind of going over that and visualization and things like that, that you don't necessarily need to be doing private lesson after private lesson and hammering a reverse, you know, the recovery is just all that wear and tear we put on our body as goalies. It adds up over the years. Right. And a lot of times you're just trying to stay healthy. And that, that was probably one of the, the best things for me was that I was pretty durable. I didn't, I didn't get hurt too often. I had a couple major blowups, but um, they didn't interfere with my seasons too often. I was going to say like fracturing your pelvis, basically Blake, that's, that's a major blow up, buddy. But I get yeah. the fact you came back from that one still is remarkable to me and had that career. Like that was, yeah. Yeah. And it was great. I mean, it, it's, it's, kind of, it's funny to look back on now, but I remember that summer in free agency. Um, so the injury happened, uh, in the new year, I had just come back from Arizona from playing a few games. I got back to Portland. Uh, we were playing a game in Manchester and I sustained this injury. I think I had surgery around the end of January because they weren't entirely sure what was going on. And my rights got flipped to Columbus. And I remember getting a call from their general manager towards the end of the year. Um, I, I, I want to say that they might have dressed a goalie from Michigan. They signed him and dressed him at the end of the year. But I remember getting a phone call after this surgery and asking if I could play. And I'm on the call with him and I'm like, I haven't walked in an entire month. I have a walker with tennis balls on it. I'm like, I don't know if I could play, but I'd show up if you really need me to, because I want to be back in the league. And, you know, that's kind of how foolish we are at times. But, you know, it that was a full nine month recovery. And even when I was signed by Columbus as a depth project that year for their minor league team during the lockout, um, I hadn't skated. I mean, it had been six, seven months since I'd touched the ice. I went in training camp was my first day on the ice and I meet Ian Clark and, you know, he's trying to teach me things that my body's never done before. Meanwhile, I'm just trying to make sure that my body doesn't get pulled apart. Like it was nine months before. So, um, you know, I, I, I signed the contract. I told him I'd be there and I hope for the best. It ended up working out. The lockout was great. The minors were a ton of fun. It was a super competitive league that year. Um, and then when that ended, half the team went up to Columbus and it was a little bit different story, but yeah, I mean, all these things that happened were, I guess, part of the journey and part of the experience and, and you learned a lot from them, but. Well, I guess part of that, like, you like to, to tie the injuries, not to that one, but you mentioned like reverse and, and all the times we go into it and the ankles and the knees and, you know, video, once you've nailed the technique, I think Jonathan Bernier's talked about this a little bit with us too. Like. He doesn't spend a lot of time working on his reverse now because he knows how to get into it. He's nailed it, but he also knows how much stress it puts on his body. So using video as a tool to sort of look at those situations and, and put yourself into them mentally without having to physically kill yourself getting into them, there's value there. I think so. I mean, it's, it's tough when, you know, kids, I don't know what the right age for them to be right. learning this is. I don't know. I mean, 
you know, it, it all depends on what your mobility is like, what your hip mobility is like, your ankle flexion, your knees, all that stuff, uh, your genetics, I'm sure tie into it in some capacity. So there, there are many things that come together. I don't know what the right age to start teaching this is. I know learning it at 29 when I did not have the hip mobility or any of the other flexibility um, to do that was not good. And it put a ton of stress on my body at that age. Um, and there were things that I changed in my personal routine that it kind of allowed my hips to open up a little bit and really just focus on that range of motion. It became easier, but you know, I, I was also fighting time too, as I got older and, you know, by the time I wrapped up and I was playing games, I mean, my skates were, I think they were tied up. I had the top two eyelets completely undone just so I could get into a reverse position because if I tied my skate all the way up, you know, it, it put too much stress on my knees and that's not, you know, that's not an easy way to play a hockey game and it's not fun. And that's probably why I won't be joining the beer leagues as a goalie. I was going to say that I wanted, I got to get to beer league in a minute, but one last one, you talked about working with kids with mental skills or on mental skills. Um, we so often think of mental skills as sports psychologists and things like that can sometimes it just be shared experience like where where are you trying to help them with routines or just help their mindset or is it just almost being a someone to bounce talk off of yeah i think the great thing um about the experiences that i had was there there were a ton of opportunities where did i manage myself the right way no did i learn from it as i went through it did i grow from it absolutely and Right now, it's about sharing those experiences, sharing the things that I went through, um, looking for ways to maybe improve it next time I encounter something like that. You know, I, I think there's something to be said for all those experiences. Can I do what a sports psychologist can do? Probably not. You know, I'm sure they have tools that I don't have. What I can offer is that I sat through this for 16 years. I saw a ton of stuff. Um, I've been more or less in every situation you can imagine. So, um, you know, you can share that with kids. You can relate to some of the things that they're going through. Um, and you can look for ways to possibly either do it better next time or handle it as you're going through it. And, you know, whether that's meditation, that's breathing stuff, that's journaling there, there are so many resources out there that can help you uh, go through all that stuff that it's, it's remarkable. And, you know, we're, we're in a tremendous age right now where there's so many things online and resources available that a lot of that stuff wasn't available to me. And most of the teams that I played for had sports psychologists, but it was, it also felt like back then that if you were going to see someone that that was a little taboo and, you know, that was, that was my mindset. I, I never wanted to be hurt and I didn't want I didn't want to show any weakness. And, is that the best way to handle it? No, absolutely not. But, you know, I was stubborn and I guess I'm old and that's kind of what I thought was the best plan of action. But, um, you know, I, I learned over the years, I started talking to people, I started looking for other resources to find ways to manage um, situations, whether they were good ones or even bad ones. And, you know, like I said, it was a learning process. I'm not, I'm definitely not the sharpest tool in the shed by any means. So, um, it took me a little longer, but you know, I was fortunate that I got to sit through all those experiences. On Instagram, you've been posting clips, some great examples and some great little quick thoughts on some of the saves we're seeing around the league when Curtis sits down to watch hockey, because you clearly still do. Who's mm -hmm. your favorite who are your favorite goalies to watch? 
Oh, to watch. Uh, it's tricky now because the last few years we haven't seen as many of the goalies as we normally get to see. Right. I mean, schedule wise, you know, I put, I put Bassey up at the top just because he does things that I've never seen done before, you know, but there, there's kids coming into the league. I, I love watching a guy like Hellebuck who looks like he just stands there and literally just gets hit with pucks and makes it look so effortless. Uh, it, it's frustrating. Robin Leonard's a guy too. Um, super calm. I mean, out, outside of the last few games where I've seen him kind of diving around a little bit, but that may just be a product of the, the shots he's facing, you know, and then there's, there's new kids coming in that I don't even have any idea about. And, you know, you get to watch another style and Jack Campbell and Peter Mrazek in Toronto this year, and both very reactionary goalies and Jack's had a ton of success so far. So, um, you know, that game last night between Tampa and Toronto was tremendous. Both goalies stood on their head, two drastically different uh, styles. But, you know, what a, what a treat to get to watch these guys. And even a guy like Jonathan Quick in L.A. still, I still marvel at the things that he can do and, and the reads that he can he still has. So, um, you know, it's it's great now. I get to watch the highlights and I have zero stress because I don't have to worry about you know, going into a game, if things are going South, it's like, I get to enjoy it. And if I see a guy giving up seven, eight goals a night, I'd be like been there, done that. Not fun. Thank goodness. I don't have to go through that again. Well, and the beauty part there too, as you mentioned, like getting to watch it, there's no one way. eh? I think that's what I love about this. There is no, there's no absolutes. It's different styles, different guys, different strengths. They all work uh, and they can all work at exceptional levels. Last one, you mentioned the beer league. Um, I know you got a set of gear kicking around down there in the basement. Is there any chance you ever put it on or would that take a big alumni type situation? Are you, are you, uh, you're, are you, a like a sniping forward now going to be a stay at home defenseman in beer league? You're looking forward to get back, get back on, out on another, on the ice in another role. Uh, well, I'm probably not going to play goalie in beer league. Um, one, because I don't think my ego could handle it if I was getting scored on. So I'll admit that. Um, nobody ever does, right? Like, like yeah, no uh, goalies ever play the position again after they retire. There might be one or two ever. Yeah, I don't blame them. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it, take, it takes a lot out of your body. And thinking about not getting hit with pucks or anything like that sounds kind of nice. Um, I'm actually so, looking forward to scoring goals. Now, I, I would imagine that most goalies that played for any amount of time, we all think that we're goal scorers. And I've seen myself skating as a beer league player and I'm pretty bad. Uh, so I'm just going to try and hold my own. Maybe I'll be a defenseman and just chip it out off the window and play it safe and let the boys do the rest of the work. Uh, if I put the goalie gear back on, it's probably going to be for my kids practice. I can, I can take that and I'm humble enough that if the kids are scoring on me, then that's, that's fine with me as long as we're having a good time. And, but yeah, that'll probably be it. Um, you know, I don't know if I qualify for those alumni games. I think I'm I'm down the totem pole on most uh, teams' depth chart. So it probably comes down to most of those starters just saying they have no interest, and that's when they'll give me a call. No, no, they'll call you because they want a great teammate and a great person to come out and represent the team. So I'm sure one of those is coming, Curtis. Um, it's been a great career uh, and with lots of ups and downs, and we can't thank you enough for sharing the journey with us a couple of times here in the Ingo Radio podcast and the lessons from it that I know you benefited from that I know other kids will benefit from you sharing. So uh, I'm going to make sure I recommend that everybody goes back and listens to that first one after they listen to this one and that they check you out on Instagram. Where else can they find you? Like if, you know, if, if you're looking, somebody's looking to maybe 
hey, I would love to, you know, see if I can get some sessions with Curtis on video. Where can they, where can they track you down? Yeah, Instagram's the best. I mean, there's an email on there. You can hit me up or just send me a DM. Uh, now that I've got time on my hands, I'm pretty good about responding. Uh, I, I guess if no need to send anything nasty, uh, it's, it's nice now. Um, you know, you don't really get any of the, the awful messages when you're not, you're not costing a team games. So, uh, most of the stuff's been fun. I love interacting on there. I, I love posting little clips, just, you know, things that I notice. Um, usually it's just in the highlights and, and seeing some of the incredible things that, that goalies are continuing to do. Awesome stuff. Okay. Thanks again, Curtis, for spending the time with us. And, uh, Remember, folks, check him out on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with him about maybe learning a few things from a guy who spent 16 years in the league, uh, reach out to him through Instagram or through those email messages. Thanks again, Curtis. All right. Thanks, Kevin. A couple of things that uh, jumped out at me there, Woody, was uh, the no video that that what it felt like when he was when Curtis was playing a great game wasn't what it looked like. I thought that was uh, amazing. Uh, just honesty from Curtis McElhaney. Yeah, a little self-deprecating humor from Curtis throughout that <laughs> interview as well. But that was a beauty, and I I can kind of like we can 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 everyone relate? Like I totally yeah. I totally related. I'm like yeah, it feels like, and I and I know if I ever saw a video of myself, I'd be like, oh wow, you're really bad. Like you're really bad, Kevin. Like, why do you think it feels like this? But I was, I was awesome. I loved it. And like, you can tell a, when you talk to him that he's going to be really good as a coach and you can tell why, you know, we won't say who, but as he indicated, like there were offers, he could have transitioned right into pro coaching, um, you know, right in with an NHL team pretty quick. And you can tell why, right? Like he's in addition to sort of having that feel for the room and knowing and being able to relate to guys, like he's learned a lot over his career. He's had a lot of different really impressive voices from his start with the Calgary Flames right to his finish with the Tampa Bay Lightning and picked up a lot of different things. And just his mentality and his approach, um, you know, you, you can tell why people think he's going to be a good goalie coach. And, you know, now it's just sort of up to him which way he wants to take that, whether it's doing what he's doing now privately or does he eventually want to get back in with the team. And that'll probably as you heard, have, have a lot to do with his family situation. That was the other part that jumped out to me. 35 moves. That's crazy. 16 years. Like we forget what it does to a family and how much it's a great life, but it's not always the easiest life, especially on those around you when you're jumping all over the country like that. And even, and it's not just us. I mean, how many guys in the NHL can even relate to what he's gone through? So many guys come up, they play for one or two or three teams. They're not making 30 plus moves in a short career. That's a, that's a really unusual thing to go through. And, and I think the people who are looking after the game just haven't, haven't really been through it. So it's not just us. It's a, it's a unique experience. It's fascinating to learn about. And had to prove himself, earn his spot every time he yeah. changed teams. It wasn't like a, a star goaltender changing teams and okay, this is your ball. Let's, let's go. He had to really earn his position on the roster every time he changed. Well, and I think there, you know, he talks about getting involved in some mental skills training. I think right there, there's an example. Imagine what he would have had to go through every single time there, the stress just involved, Mm -hmm. like a base level of stress that year in, year out, month in, month out, as you say, Darren, you're trying to prove yourself to your team. You're trying to prove yourself to your coach. You're trying to earn the next start. Uh, He has been through so much. I've, over the last few years, as we talk to more and more of these guys who transition from the game into coaching, I've grown to really respect 
uh, what they can bring to a coaching role that goes well beyond the technical uh, in the game. And and I, I thought Curtis really summed it up in this interview when he talked about the fact that virtually every goaltender who comes to him, even kids now, have that skill set already in place. There's only so much you can teach them. Um, but his ability to share his experience on the ice, the situations he's been through, the reads he's been through, uh, I think it's absolutely invaluable and, uh, and, and something that every young goaltender would probably love to be able to take advantage of just picking his brain for what, what it's like to be out there on the ice. The other one that jumped out at me from that, and there were a lot of takeaways, how about, how about the call from the GM? Do you think you'll be able to play soon? Yes. He, he literally hasn't walked and he's got a walker with, ten, like just his description of the walker with the tennis balls on the knobs on the bottom of the walker to get around was like, it was so vivid and I can picture that. And it's like, you know, just what his body went through and, and why he doesn't want to play now, right? Like just looking at his gear and, his, you know, his hips hurt. Just imagining getting into an RVH at this point too. So um, it's, uh, it's it was a really fascinating glimpse into into the life. And, and what I said is going to be a really good transition for him now moving forward. You know he's going to be good in this role, whichever way he decides to take it. That's got to be one of the most remarkable comebacks from injury in NHL, yeah. if not sports history. Really? I mean, you can't even imagine what he had to go through there. And then to have the trust to do it again, like to make those moves again and knowing what you you did. Well, and, and, and because he was with Columbus, not just make those moves again, but reinvent how he was moving, right? Like he changed a lot of how he played when he was in Columbus. And, you know, in some ways, and again, folks, make sure you go listen to episode 28 because he talked a little bit about fracturing his pelvis in this interview, but we really dug into that stage of his career and all that he went through in a lot more detail in episode 28. And it is, a, like you said, Hutch, it's a remarkable comeback. Imagine imagine the force required in a simple cross-crease movement. Imagine how much force you're putting in and how much wear and tear you put on your body that that movement can actually fracture your pelvis. Like tore it right up, basically pulled his body apart uh, in the pelvis. That's, it's, uh, it's, we're all shaking our heads as we think, think about, about it, but you know, the path back from that was hard and long and he deserves a ton of credit for, for persevering through it and coming out on the other side, actually a better goaltender. Oh, to be young. Imagine being 15 and having all that uh, skill and not being no scar tissue there in your mind or your body, like, like little Hutch. Hey, congratulations, uh, pops on, on Maddie's BCGHL debut uh couch and capitals uh getting the call up and, and playing a game and, and being the the star of the game thank you uh feels like it's the maddie show every week when do when we do this i was embarrassed the first time you asked about his preseason game and and now here we are uh preseason game experience the first time we talked about it, and then in this past week not one but two starts in, in the bchl at 15 um yeah i i just marvel when i watch it it's it's fascinating to go through and the way he thinks the game and everything he's picking up now through these experiences. I just love having a conversation with him now. He's able to point out things that I never imagined uh, in terms of how he's learning how to read the game and how he's learning how to deal with and adapt to, to more challenging situations. The first game was, was remarkable. 51 saves on 53 shots and first save in his, in his first regular season start to get a win uh, for a team that admittedly doesn't have many. Uh, what, what a magical night and then came back for the, the next game and actually got to start against his billet brother because we, we billet the goaltender for the Nanaimo Clippers. And so these two guys who live together got to face off, uh, in their second game, um, didn't go Maddie's way, 
But um, talk about the use of video. The two boys were sitting on the couch at home shortly after the game was over, pouring through the video, looking <laughs> at each other's plays, looking at each other's goals. Problem is um, you can't skip through the guy at the other end uh, to get to your stuff because he's sitting beside you. <laughs> no, it was mostly Cooper leading the whole thing. He's, a, he's an awesome young man. Uh, committed to Cooper Black, committed to Dartmouth University for next season. He's a 20-year-old right now. And uh, they've become really close, and it's uh, it's been good for 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 both of them. But uh, Maddie said the part he actually enjoyed the most was he was during a timeout he was skating past the Nanaimo bench, and he was getting chirped by all the players to go back to midget. And uh, he said he just looked at the guys and started laughing his butt off, and uh, he could see how angry it was making the Clippers too. So I think he really enjoyed that moment. But uh, yeah, what what a special night, and uh, hopefully there'll be another one somewhere down the road. That would have been a good goalie go, the two of the. Billet and uh, little brother meeting. Yeah, at but the, the big billet, big billet brothers, six foot eight. <laughs> they said if there was a bench, they, I, I don't think they ever could have pulled it off. But they they did talk about if there was a bench clearer, <laughs> they'd go down meet at center ice. Nobody crosses center, so they don't get in trouble. And maybe uh, pull it out and do a little uh, rock paper scissors or something. Because <laughs> yeah, Cooper's got some reach. Maddie's not a not a small man, but Cooper at six foot eight would uh, that'd be scary. Uh, very cool story. Very cool experience. And uh, congratulations to uh, Maddie Hutch uh, for uh, another step in uh, in his journey as we uh, close out this uh, little chapter. Uh, thanks to Sensorina VR for our feature interview with uh, Curtis McElhaney and of course uh, Source for Sports Surrey, the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. Check out the website for the Black Friday sale that's coming very soon. We'll chat with you guys next week and uh, get an update on Carey Price, where he is uh, in his situation returning the Montreal Canadiens and all the uh, eventful plays that will happen in the world of goaltending. Be good, everybody. 